step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered ChampaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Government sucks at doing stuff. You're listening to the Pursuit of Happiness Radio. Good for you. The government are a bunch of clowns. The Pursuit of Happiness Radio. Guns don't kill people. The government does. The Pursuit of Happiness Radio. The American government lies to you. The Pursuit of Happiness Radio. It's the government, all right? People don't work there because they're geniuses. The Pursuit of Happiness Radio. We have less brains in Washington right now than we've ever had since we've been a nation. Oh, greetings, folks. A 71-pound meteorite was discovered in Antarctica. 71 pounds. Huge. You know what's even more impressive about that? That's how big it was when it was cold. I know. It's amazing. I was in the pool. I told you. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. It's, uh, well, it's a Thursday afternoon, and it's a pleasure to have you all here. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Today on the show, uh, I have a very special guest known as Common Sense Bob, who will be joining us in the next hour. And Bob is a local Houston resident who is furious with Mayor Sylvester Turner and his policies and how they're affecting, well, among other people, low-income people in, in Houston. And it's not good, right? Bob isn't necessarily from a low-income black neighborhood. He's a middle-class white guy. But he is speaking on behalf of the violence that, take, that is taking place in those people's neighborhoods. And weirdly enough, he's been accused of... Well, I'll let him explain it to you. He's coming up in the next hour here. Also on the show today, strange things are happening at the Alamo in San Antonio. The founding fathers of Texas would be rolling over in their graves if they heard about this. And a Louisiana town is being sued for arresting a man for putting up a flag that says, uh, let's go, Brandon. Well, that's not what it said, but you, you get what I mean. Anyway, so all that coming up in just a little bit. But first, can we talk about Social Security for just a minute? Here's something that almost all Republicans know, but no elected official will admit out loud. Social Security is a pyramid scheme, and it is failing. But Kenny, that's my retirement money. You got robbed, bro. Your retirement money was stolen from you. I've been paying into it for decades. I know. That's why I'm bringing this up. I'm about to give some bad news to you, but please pay attention. This matters. Now, before I even tell you what the news is, remember what Social Security is, right? Like, you give all this money to the federal government, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars over the years. And at some point, you know, they said if you'd have just invested that money in S&P 500 from your first job right up to the retirement age, 65 years old, you would be a millionaire. You would have millions of dollars. You would have a seven-figure digit amount of money in a savings account. But instead, instead of that, the government gives, they force you to pay them for Social Security, and then they give you a $30,000 a year paycheck right up until you die. 
Is that fair? No, it's not fair. Veronica Derugi recently reported on how Social Security is on the brink of collapse. And sadly, Republican elected officials, they all know this is true, they won't talk about it. Have you ever heard this before? In 1950, there were more than 16 workers for every one beneficiary of Social Security. Now, where do you think that's going? What would you think it is today? Today, it's less than two. For every one beneficiary, there's more. There's less than two people paying into the system. And that ratio will be, like, even worse by the year 2035. That's what they're so worried about. If you follow policy debates long enough, arguments you never thought you'd hear can become co- components of the two parties' policy platforms. And that is certainly the case when it comes to Republicans saying they'll never touch Social Security or Medicare. Well, maybe somebody should. You guys know who J.D. Vance is. He's a MAGA senator. He's new. He's just got elected in Ohio. He wrote that book, Hillbillyology, I think is what it's called. They made it into a movie. And it's very popular, right? Now he's become, you know, kind of the new darling of the Republican Party. He tweeted out that former President Donald Trump was 100% correct to demand that under no circumstances should Republicans vote to cut a single penny from Medicare or Social Security. His tweet was issued amid a the debt ceiling fight. And that both these positions have long been held by him and Trump. And I like me some Trump. But Trump is telling you, look, Trump is still a politician. I'm sorry, he is. And he's telling you we can't get rid of Social Security and Medicare because, you know, poll, polling tells us that those are getting rid of those things are unpopular ideas. Yeah, okay, maybe. But what's more important, being popular or being right? I cannot wait to hear the grand plan that the Don't Touch Social Security and Medicare Republican Caucus has to address the $116 trillion over 30-year shortfall. That's a 6%. That is 6% of the U.S. GDP. He's doing math. I know math is racist. I'm sorry. But it's true. No action from Congress means no money to pay for all the benefits. That means enormous cuts that will hurt the low-income seniors who truly depend on these programs because, after all, they got scammed into giving their money to the federal government. Of course, if the Republicans insist on not touching benefits, they could address the Social Security and Medicare shortfalls with enormous tax hikes. Does that sound like something Republican voters would want? For Social Security alone, when the trust fund dries out, they will have to agree to immediately raise the payroll tax from 12.4% to 15.64%, or close to 25% increase in taxes. Kenny wants to raise taxes. No, I'm telling you we shouldn't do that. Instead, you should get to keep your money. I'm about halfway through my adult life. I'm 40, right? I mean, hopefully I'm not. I'm halfway through my life. Hopefully I'm not halfway through my adult life. But I'm halfway through my life. And I put a lot of money into Social Security. And I'm beginning to have to swallow the tough pill here and realize that that when I retire, I'm probably not going to get that money. And I'm 40. Now, to anybody that's older than me or younger than me that thinks that getting rid of the system is a bad idea, my first question would be, well, then what do we do about what I'm saying? It's not as if we haven't been warning politicians that these troubles are brewing. Back in 2000, experts already warned that the Social Security Trust Fund would run out of assets by 2037. Well, that, that's going to be coming up before I turn 65, y'all. Today, that situation has deteriorated further, and now they think it'll run out by 2035. In other words, these problems shouldn't surprise you. You're not shocked by this. When Social Security started, life expectancy was much lower. And in 1950, there were 16 workers for every beneficiary. I just explained that. 
And that's what's so alarming, that so many in the Republican Party are giving up on educating a public that's been brainwashed for years with misleading sound bites like, you earned your Social Security benefits, so you're entitled to the benefits now promised, or, or there's an account with your name on it. And that is misinformation. There's no question that retirees deserve fair treatment, but the facts are that the Supreme Court ruled in 1960 that workers do not have a legally binding right to Social Security benefits. Did you know that? No, yeah, you're not guaranteed that money. You never were. And the sooner we realize that, the sooner we realize you are not legally guaranteed to get the money you've been paying, and it probably won't be there by the time you retire, maybe that'll be the point in which people actually start paying attention to this. Joe Biden, decades of giving dirty politics a bad name. Sorry, dirty politics. This is Kenny Webster's Pursuit of Happiness on KPRC 950 Houston. A wise person recently said, if you don't talk to your kids about politics, celebrities like Haley Bieber are going to. Victoria Marshall today reporting on how a whopping 67% of American teenagers use TikTok. It's a lot. It's more than half of them. 62% are on Instagram and 95% of them use YouTube, according to a recent study. That's from the Pew Research Center. So the effects of constantly being on social media can be pretty alarming, right? Because you're constantly being exposed to things that could be misleading and intended to cause an emotional reaction. That's the whole point of it. But what's equally concerning is the messaging young people internalize on these platforms. And I'm not just talking about how people on Instagram are more likely to think that they're ugly or people on TikTok are more likely to be a trans. But have you ever seen this website, the Twitter account, actually? It's called Libs of TikTok. This woman is a user on Twitter. I guess she's friends with Donald Trump. They had dinner together the other day. And all she does, I've explained this before, the woman goes on TikTok and finds videos of insane things that liberals say in a open public forum, and then she downloads the video and reposts it on Twitter to her mostly conservative audience. And this has shed light on all kinds of pervasive ideologies, things like critical race theory, uh, things that are indoctrinating young people to the Chinese Communist Party-influenced app. That is what is taking place on TikTok. They're teaching your kids that capitalism's evil, and amazingly, they're using capitalism to teach them that lesson. So not as much attention gets paid to Instagram. That's the mecca of the influencer class. And the celebrities on that platform pushing the Democrat Party propaganda to very adoring and unsuspecting fans. And I, there's a great example here is the Haley Bieber. Haley Bieber is the wife of Justin Bieber. She had a stroke a little while back, if I'm not mistaken. He had facial paralysis. Neither of those things had anything to do with the vaccine. So don't even suggest it, you conspiracy theorist. But anyway, uh, last week she took advantage of the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday to peddle some dangerous election misinformation. Amazingly, she did this on the skincare, on her skincare brand's Instagram account. Because apparently nowadays the only way to learn about election fraud and election is with skincare and beauty lines. That's the great. If you can't trust a beauty line to tell you what happens in our elections in this country, who can you trust? So there's this post on social media published by 700,000 followers. That's how many her skincare product has. And Bieber used the federal holiday as an excuse to push this left-wing political agenda. Let me read it to you. Here's what it said. Quote, quote, 
While there are many ways to celebrate and honor the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., at our skincare brand, we do so by continuing to take action on issues that were important to his legacy. And yet, over the last decade, we have witnessed an erosion of our voting rights. The Voting Rights Act, a landmark piece of federal legislation meant to prohibit racial discrimination in voting, continues to be gutted. In 2022, according to a new report by Democracy Docket, partisan party groups filed a record 23 democracy-related lawsuits to challenge election results, attack mail-in voting, and attempt to undermine the administration of elections. These efforts are a threat to our democracy, end quote. That's what, that's what a skincare line told your 14-year-old. That's what a beauty brand said to your 11-year-old daughter on social media. Now, obviously, that's filled with misinformation. Do you think that we have policies that prevent people of certain skin colors or religious beliefs or ethnic backgrounds from voting in this country? I mean, unless they're illegal immigrants, we don't. In fact, non-citizens can now vote in some parts of the country. How alarming is that? So what she's saying isn't true. But it's topped off with even more dishonesty. The part about mail-in ballots always blows my mind. People that want more mail-in ballots mailed out will tell you in one hand, yeah, we're concerned with how many of these people cashed checks during the pandemic. Our government sent checks to dead people all over the country, and amazingly, those checks were cashed to the tunes of, of, what was it, millions and millions of dollars worth of COVID stimulus checks were cashed by dead people. Now, we know that to be true. That's a fact. Do you believe that those same people didn't use their dead relatives' mail-in ballots to vote against Trump? Haley Bieber apparently wouldn't have believed that. but Or does she? Or does she know that that's what's happening and she's just lying to people about it? You notice that Justin Bieber's wife here frames the election integrity debate explicitly through a racial lens. Democrats always want to do this. There's no mention of the fact that it's actually Democrats who tried to gut the Voting Rights Act through legislation that would have used the power of the federal government to overturn voter ID laws. No, they don't don't even mention that. Well, why would they? Facts are very inconvenient things, are they? Democrats' legislation would also expand the definition of voting rights violations to include not only intentional discrimination, but also what they deem to be uh, unfortunate outcomes. This means any kind of voting requirement or practice to ensure election integrity could be overturned by the courts or the federal government over alleged racial discrimination. Alleged. Now, besides her skincare brand's blatant fear-mongering over this pretend racism that takes place when there's an election, her skincare line is actually uh, amazingly included... They posted things online about election challenges, threatening democracy. Last time I checked, challenging election results and having a system through which to do so strengthens the democratic process. It gives candidates the opportunity to redress alleged election interference or fraud. Isn't it amazing? Liberals will tell you they care about election interference or voter suppression right up until it benefits them. Voter suppression is when people that were supposed to be able to legally vote don't get the opportunity to do so. We had a lot of voter suppression happen here in Harris County, here in Houston, last November, when polling locations all over the city didn't have enough paper for people to vote. No paper ballots. Sorry, can't vote today. Isn't that exactly what voter suppression is? It's the definition of it. 
Weirdly enough, I didn't hear Lena Hidalgo squawking about that at her celebration press conference. Anyway, getting back to the thing with Haley Bieber here. The next thing her fashion brand recommended, a fashion, excuse me, beauty brand, makeup line, recommended several left-wing groups for its followers to support. They want you to support the Black Voters Matter Fund, the Democracy Docket, basically a Russian hoaxer and top Democratic lawyer named Mark Elias' blog, and then a group called I Am a Voter. It's a nonpartisan, quote-unquote nonpartisan, get-out-the-vote nonprofit group that gets young people registered basically expands the Democrat Party's voter base. They're never trying to get elderly people to vote more. No, why would they? So Bieber and her skincare line are collaborating with these partisan organizations. There's nothing nonpartisan about them to show how skilled the Democrat Party is at recruiting celebrities and trendy brands to peddle their propaganda to little kids. During the 2020 presidential presidential election cycle, Haley Bieber wasn't the only one doing this. Maybe you've heard of Taylor Swift, world-renowned pop star, a darling of Generation Z and the millennial women, openly campaigning for Joe Biden, which is weird because Taylor Swift actually has a lot of conservative women who celebrate her music. During the Democrat National Convention that same year, Billie Eilish and uh, rapper Common, pop star and rapper, literally singing Biden's praises and influencing young people. That was the whole point. This is the reason that Andrew Breitbart used to say, Politics is downstream from culture. I know I say that on the show all the time, but I just want to remind people this is important. As I talk about this stuff, I know there's a handful of you sitting there in your car or your work or wherever you are rolling your eyes. Kenny, these people are in Hollywood. Who cares? It's time to stop having that mentality, dude. Or do that. I don't mean to misgender you. It's time to stop having the mentality that what happens in Hollywood or Broadway or Nashville doesn't matter. It matters. It absolutely matters. My advice to any parents out there, make sure you talk to your kids about politics before their favorite celebrities or social media influencers do. Because believe me, they will. Be wary of strong alcoholic drinks. They could make you shoot at tax collectors and miss. This is Kenny Webster's Pursuit of Happiness on KPRC 950 Houston. Walmart. Walmart has increased their minimum wage from $12 per hour to 14 Of course, the biggest benefit to working at Walmart is you get to keep any meth you find while cleaning the bathroom. Isn't that awesome? Okay, all jokes aside here, Walmart increasing their minimum wage. Do you understand why that's remarkable? I mean, all the time we hear people on the left complain that the minimum wage isn't high enough, but the free market's raising the minimum wage on their own. We don't need the government to solve this problem. Raising the minimum wage will happen when there's a demand for workers, and that's exactly what's taking place here. Let the free market do its thing. Stop interfering. Are you asking too much here? Apparently, we weren't with bugs. No, the free market is not asking for bugs in our food, but it is happening. People thought we were kidding when we said this. Normalizing you eating bugs becomes more and more a part of your reality every day. As of this week... A food additive made out of powdered crickets is now appearing in foods from pizza to pasta all across Europe. Basically, they take crickets. They're on the menu for Europeans all around the continent. The vast majority of people may not even know it's in their food, but it's a thing now. This comes thanks to a European Commission ruling passed earlier this month. 
Here's what the ruling says. It says, as part of the decision, which cited the scientific opinion of the European Food Safety Authority, the additive is safe to use in a whole range of products, including but not limited to cereal bars, biscuits, pizza, pasta-based products, and, and then protein powder, whey powder. But don't worry, because the crickets first have to be checked to make sure they, disca they discard the bowel content before they're frozen. Mmm, delish. People have pointed out here, once the bugs become widely accepted as a food additive, their consumption will be normalized, and that's gross. The liberal world order decided that people like us have to eat bugs to prevent the climate from fluctuating. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Does it really? The European Union recently approved the use of, what do they call this? Alpha Tobias diaparnoius, otherwise known as the lesser mealworm, for human consumption. Mmm, yummy, yummy. It's kind of exhausting, isn't it? The globalist technocrats and their climate change activists consist consistently lobbying for people to start eating bugs to fight global warming. You eat more bugs and we can control the weather. And they think we're conspiracy theorists? I somewhat doubt these elitists who recently visited Davos will be switching to a bug diet. But at the World Economic Forum, that's exactly what they decided they want you to do. No matter how much they browbeat us, with their man-made climate change narrative, they're never going to eat bugs, just like they're never going to give up their private jets, just like they're never going to stop driving around in big black SUVs. But you have to stop doing all those things. Hell, you don't even have a private jet. They want you to stop flying commercial. Back in November, the Washington Post advised people here in our country, America, that instead of a traditional Thanksgiving dinner, which is now unaffordable for about a quarter of families out there, 25% of Americans, consider eating bugs. It's pretty sick, isn't it? Livestock farmers in the Netherlands are being climate change regulated out of existence. Kids in schools are being indoctrinated to eat bugs, just like they're being told that their gender doesn't exist. And there's even schools in Germany that have banned eating meat altogether. Kind of weird, right? Believe it or not, that's not even the most controversial thing that Germany ever did. New from General Chills, it's Buggios. The first ever breakfast cereal made completely from mealworm protein. Your family loves eating Cheerios and Lucky Charms, but those cereals are full of sugar. And worst of all, they're bad for the environment. Buggios is chock full of delicious bug protein, and it's good for the environment. Reduce your carbon footprint to almost zero with delicious Buggios. Available in fun flavors like cockroach, maggot, and pumpkin spice. So pick up a box of delicious Buggios today and watch your family's eyes light up. It's Buggios. Yum. Mealworm life cycle. Yum, yum, yum. Yummy for me. Mmm. Fill my tummy, tummy with buggy buggies. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't want to eat something with larvae in it? That just sounds great. I won't miss ribeye steaks and, uh, and, and chicken breasts because I've got larvae to eat. Lucky me. Well, they need that money and protein. They need all the protein they could get now, and you better start eating bugs because we've got to really shift our focus economically. We don't have money to spend in this country anymore for you to have meat for dinner. We have to give that money to Ukraine. Eddie Scarry today reporting on how, well, okay, the New York Times has finally acknowledged that Ukraine is a broken and corrupt nation. Unfortunately, they couldn't have delivered that news to us back when we still hadn't given them about $113 billion and a whole bunch of military aircrafts and tanks. I guess it's apparently safe now to make the obvious point that Ukraine is run by fiends, 
white supremacists and neo-Nazis and fascists. It's its own corrupt oligarchy, just as bad as Russia. And maybe dumping American tax dollars on the corrupt little nation without any strings attached was kind of a mistake. Okay, the New York Times earlier this week, this is a real thing. Go look it up if you want. On Tuesday, they published an article. What was this article called? Hang on a second here. The New York Times actually published an article earlier this week that said several top officials fired amid corruption crackdown in Ukraine. Oh, you're finally admitting that? They took some time to report on the slew of firings and the forced resignations of all these Ukrainian government officials pushed by President Volodymyr Zelensky. He spells his name with nine Ys. Now, for the purpose of reassuring Ukraine's allies, quote, which are sending billions of dollars in military aid, that his government would show zero tolerance for corruption. Well, wasn't that kind of him? Oh, that was so nice of you, Zelensky. Maybe now Democrats and even the rhino Republicans will stop countering every question about our involvement in Ukraine by suggesting that by criticizing Ukraine, you're helping Putin. These people love war. They're obsessed with it. They haven't seen a dollar they wouldn't like to send to Ukraine. Now, Ukraine has been rated by foreign aid nonprofits and humanitarian organizations as one of Europe's most crooked countries for years over and over again. But never mind that, because I have a Ukrainian flag bumper sticker right next to my Stop the War in Iraq bumper sticker. Irony. Isn't that interesting? You have some of these career politicians, liberal, progressive types, far-left lawmakers, who since the 1970s have been telling you war in Vietnam was awful, and now at the end of their career they get to tell you that war in Ukraine is great. Now, the firings and resignations, they don't really mean much. Zelensky's administration has already replaced these people with people that are equally corrupt. Nobody paid attention because he was out doing a Vogue cover shoot. Oh, yeah, he looked great in his, uh, what was it, uh, Annie Leibovitz took photos of him. Real, really cool stuff there. Eddie Scari today reporting on how over the course of nearly a year, the U.S. government has spent $113 billion on Ukraine. You know what that means, right? Every step of the way, anyone with a question about why or for whom or to what and we, we sent that money to has been accused of being a Putin sympathizer. And then Zelensky shows up to tell us we're not doing enough. It's still not enough. Do y'all remember last year when they accidentally bombed Poland and killed some people? They tried to lie to you about that. The, no, no, it's true. Ukraine launched missiles or rockets or whichever one it was, and they missed wherever they were supposed to go, ended up in Poland and killed a bunch of Polish people. And then Ukraine came out and said, no, that was Russia that did that. So America did an investigation, and we determined, we determined, no, it was Ukraine. And Poland did an investigation, and they determined, no, it was Ukraine. But both countries then issued another statement saying, but it's okay, these things happened during a war. Ukraine no, still never admitted what they did wrong or even apologized, and we kept giving them money. You're allowed to be mad about this. You should be. That's the reasonable reaction. At least the New York Times is coming around to acknowledging that Ukraine isn't the squeaky clean operation that the White House, most of Congress, and all of corporate media, and everybody in Hollywood and Broadway and Nashville insists that it is. Maybe next we'll be allowed to openly state that Ukraine and NATO were antagonizers of this war, and funding it indefinitely is probably doing more harm than good. You tell me. You're listening to Kenny Webster's Pursuit of Happiness, where everyone is welcome, even scum-sucking, maggot-swallowing socialist bastards you used to refer to as mom. 
Welcome to another episode of A Millennial's Guide to History, a lesson in the Earth's most riveting moments to explain world events to societies most entitled and ignorant. Today's episode... The Legend of the Alamo! Yeah, boy! Yo, what's up, scrotes? Welcome to another edition of Millennial's Guide to History. Today we're going to be talking about the Battle of the Alamo with all the Mexicans and Davy Crockett and whatever. The main thing to remember about the Battle of the Alamo was that it happened in the Alamo. Whoa, what a weird coincidence. I know. The Battle of the Alamo happened in 1836 with Davy Crockett, John Wayne, William Travis, David Bowie, Dennis Quaid, Sam Houston, and Billy Bob Thornton. Those were the Texas dudes, but there were Mexicans there as well. Yeah, like Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana and Emilio Estevez. He was a cute one. The whole thing started off when Colonel William Travis was hanging out in San Antonio. Was he at the Riverwalk? They let you walk around with margaritas. I know, but he was over at the Alamo. Oh, that place is boring. That's where Travis was chilling when he saw some Mexican dudes were on their way to kick his ass. Uh-oh, looks like them Mexicans are looking to tango. We're gonna need some backup. After William Travis called for his homies, he decided to just lay low at the Alamo with his buddy David Bowie. But the Mexican dudes had them outnumbered. Give up, William Travis, because there's like a ton of us and not a lot of you. Even though the Texans were greatly outnumbered, they didn't give up. All of you Texas guys are just a bunch of inbred rednecks. You better shut your mouth, Santa Ana, or I'm going to fill it with tacos and ass kickings. Only 32 men from the nearby town of Gonzalez responded to Travis's call for help because they were like busy watching something on TV or whatever. Probably football. First, we're going to take the animal, then we're going to take your job. And then at 5.30 in the morning on March 6th, Mexican dudes stormed the Alamo through a gap in the fort's outer wall. <laughs> gap. <laughs> and it killed Travis, Bowie, and 190 other dudes. There was, like, all this blood and guts everywhere. It was gnarly. Ugh, gross. But even though they got all their asses kicked pretty badly, the Alamo remains a symbol to this day of, like, Texas freedom and stuff. Like Whataburger. And that's the story of the Battle of the Alamo. This has been a Millennial's Guide to History. All right, that's old. That's an old bit. I created it years ago. Millennials Guide to History almost doesn't even make sense anymore because the millennials are getting older now, and then there's Zoomers now, right? So we haven't done those bits in a while, but you know, it's stupid hokey comedy on the radio that I produce, and thank you so much if you do enjoy it. But uh, the Alamo is in trouble today, so it felt appropriate to play that. Christian Brzezinski has a report today about how the Alamo is trying to eminent domain some guy's bar. Do y'all get what eminent domain is? It's legalized theft is what it is. The government could step in and say, hey, you know that place where you have a house? Well, we need to put a, a, a highway there or a, a high-speed railway system or a oil pipeline, or a parking garage, or whatever it may be, and they can use the power of the government to take your property from you and give you an amount of money that probably isn't actually what the property's worth? Well, that's the case in the Alamo, the neighborhood of the Alamo in San Antonio. For about the past 12 years, a guy named Vince Cantu has owned and operated an Alamo-themed bar called Moses Rose's Hideout Bar. That's a pretty cool name, right? It's just a few blocks from the inspiration in downtown San Antonio. It's in the neighborhood of the Alamo, so it's an appropriate place for it. For six of those years, 
Texas government bodies have been undertaking a massive expansion of the Alamo grounds, and they've been telling him the same thing. Sell us your bar, or we're going to come and take it. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of irony in this. Sorry if I'm leaning into it a little hard, but I think you get why I'm pointing it out, right? So uh, let's see here. Tomorrow... Is this? No, today. Today, the San Antonio City Council is voting on an ordinance authorizing the use of eminent domain to seize his bar. It may have already happened. It's a drastic move. The city and the state and the nonprofit Alamo Trust, which operates the site, all claim it's totally necessary because of his repeated refusal to sell his property at a reasonable price. Now, he puts the entire $400 million Alamo expansion in jeopardy, according to them. How dare you? We're trying to build a tourist trap here to exploit the fact that a long time ago, a lot of guys were trying to make a point that we no longer want to make. So the bar owner, meanwhile, says he's eager to participate in the expected economic success from adding a new Alamo museum and a visitor center and some shops. The efforts to cut him out of the coming downtown boom by seizing his property are both unjust and laced with historical irony. And he's right. This was not run-of-the-mill eminent domain. This wasn't, we're going to put a pipeline or a road through your property. This is property on the grounds of Texas Liberty. This is blood-stained soil. This whole idea of a government coming and taking away your way of life is exactly what the founding fathers were against. So when he purchased the building that is now a bar, it had been vacant for eight years. It was in rough shape. He fixed it up. He made it something people enjoyed. Its primary virtue was its location, just a block from the Alamo Plaza, within a walking distance from the San Antonio Riverwalk. With an eye toward potential, this guy poured the money he'd made from selling the last bar he owned into creating Moses Roses' hideout. Named after the legend of one of the Alamo defenders who deserted the fort instead of fighting and dying with the other defenders. With very little money, he got it painted, he passed city codes, he got it open. All his customers were, all of his first customers were homeless people. A homeless guy and a guitar was his live entertainment. It was probably a couple years before he started breaking even. But the investment paid off, and those first lean years gave way to a booming business that now the city wants to take away from him. At his bar, as it was becoming a downtown fixture, the various government entities and nonprofits with a stake in the Alamo were also plotting a business venture of their own. This goes back to 2015. The city of San Antonio, the Alamo Endowment Board, and the General Land Office, and the, which is the state agency that owns the site, they inked an agreement to restore and expand the Alamo grounds. Now, their initial plan called for restoration work on the existing church and the barracks buildings and the construction of a new world-class museum. That's how they described it, world-class. Oh, and a visitor center in the place where his bar is. Well, the buildings that bordered his bar. Well, his bar's in the way. We need it gone. How are we going to have a visitor center when your stupid bar's here? You're trying to sell everybody delicious IPAs and old fashions and margaritas. We can't be having that. The state needs to make money. In 2016, he says he received an email just out of the blue from the general land office. And it was signed by then land commissioner George P. Bush. George P. Bush is not your friend, kids. Nobody in the Bush family is. They wanted to purchase his building for an appraisal value of $1 million. A million bucks. 
And at the time, he said he wasn't particularly interested in selling. It was a successful money-making business. The value of the land wasn't worth as much to him as his business was. He wanted to keep his business. So there was this other proposal, a deal whereby he could swap properties with the city for another one a little further away from the Alamo. That fell through in 2017. This guy's been dealing with this for years. Several years passed. He didn't receive any offers on his property. But plans for the Alamo expansion continued to develop. They weren't offering him anything, but they were still making plans to take it from him. And then in June of 2018... Rendering for the site of the, you know, the museum and the visitor center, it showed his bars building replaced by the new museum. Surprise, we're going to put the museum right where you are. But I'm here. Too bad. In 2020, he was once again propositioned to sell his property. And he again expressed opposition to selling his property at the value they were giving. It wasn't worth as much as it, they weren't offering him what it was worth. Shocker there. He couldn't afford to sell for the appraised value and not have any money. After he paid his note and everything else, he'd have to go find a job somewhere. And he liked his job. He liked what he was doing. He didn't want a new job. So in response, the CEO at the time of the Alamo Trust was a guy named Douglas McDonald. He asked him to name a price that would allow him and his wife to celebrate the construction of the new museum. So he thought it over and he said $15 million. Now, that was about eight times as much as the government was willing to pay. He says it represented the generational wealth he'd be walking away from if he sold the building. He's right. San Antonio's growing. It's not shrinking. A successful bar in downtown San Antonio is going to be worth a lot more in 10 years than it is right now. The new Alamo Museum, he reasoned, was going to be a huge tourist attraction. It would contain a four-dimensional theater, whatever that is, and display all these artifacts acquired and donated to the Alamo by its biggest fan, musician Phil Collins. Remember that? You forgot about that, didn't you? Some of you might have known about that. Phil Collins donated all this stuff to Texas. That's a story for another time. Anyway, the value of his property, the bar owner, and the number of customers coming through his door would increase. He'd be walking away from... One of the nicest parts of downtown where things are finally starting to turn around. He's part of the reason why it got nice there. And throughout these back and forths, he said he was frequently told that his property wasn't being considered for eminent domain. Well, now it looks like it is. He said that he's reached out to all the members of city council. He hasn't received any commitments of support from any of them. None of them care. None of them are willing to acknowledge the glaring example of hypocrisy and irony that is being displayed right now by the city of San Antonio. All of them far-left fascists, really. He describes the effort to forcibly take his property as sacrilegious and one of the most un-Texan things you could do. And he's right. If the city does vote to go forward with eminent domain, he says he'll continue to fight the seizure. And odds are, if the, this news, if the case isn't breaking right now as I'm talking about it, I'm sure we'll know by the end of the day or by tomorrow. I stand in solidarity with this man. We'll have to wait and see what happens. Coming up, more Kenny Webster's Pursuit of Happiness. A safe space for those who love liberty and try not to take themselves too seriously. Even if your name is Karen. Karen. 